When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price. And the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Well, friends, what a joy this morning to be able to open the Word of God. Uh, if you're following in your Bibles this morning, it's again Matthew 26, the first 13 verses. Uh, history records that in the 1930s, there was a group of artists in Europe that met regularly as the shadow of war spread across the continent. The Nazis were on the march invading one country after another. And in those dark days, the artists would gather and they would ask each other the question, how can one think about planting roses when the world is burning? How can one think about planting roses when the world is burning? And really what they were asking one another was, is there any heart left to do the things that we love to do when the world is in such chaos? How can we paint? How can we compose music? How can we spend time creating beautiful things when there is such pain and confusion and suffering in the world? 
And so the slogan became, how can we plant roses when the world is burning? And you'll see it this morning. The planting of a rose when the world is burning. It is strangely different from the 1930s. It is different from Syria. It is different from Iraq. It is different from Libya. But it speaks to every generation. And it speaks to every life. Because we will all find ourselves in situations where the world is burning. And we wonder how in the world we're going to plant our roses. So let me ask three questions of the text this morning to to kind of track what Matthew was saying to us. How much does it cost? How much can I give? And how much can I get? How much does it cost? The real story in the text that we want to get at is sandwiched between the setting and the negative reaction to the real story. They're like bookends, and they're stressed on both ends. Uh, as this beautiful artistic story of a woman pouring out her love for the Savior emerges. How much does it cost? There is a war that is about to be waged. It is a war that will forever change the course of history. Jesus knew it was coming. He prepared himself for it. He prepared others for it. He had come to this planet because he knew this war had to be fought. And so the first verse says, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, Passover begins in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Jesus had given fair warning to his disciples that the day was coming when he would be crucified. He says it again. The day is drawing close when these things will take place. There are a number of times in the scripture when Jesus tells them what is coming. It is coming. It is coming. But in some ways they wanted to block the message. How much does it cost? I don't know how you handle news of things that are difficult to handle. Hard that you see in your life, hard things, difficult things. Sometimes it's so painful that if you're like me, you just want to block it. You try not to think about it. It's, it's a coping mechanism. It's, it's really all about the cost because the cost is so great. I have a feeling that to the disciples, all this talk about the cross was just a little bit too much. It was an intrusion into what they felt was the real mission of the leader. It would be better if Jesus would just be about the business of leading. Just be Israel's Messiah. The disciples probably hoped that the cross talk would go away, that things would work out. But we know, of course, that the cross is not an intrusion. It is the centerpiece of the Christian story. Is that right? It's the very focal point of the Christian story. It's the fulcrum. It's the pivot of history. And the whole Bible points to the cross. 
1930, a Catholic bishop put up a 14-foot bronze crucifix at the Calvary Cemetery in Little Rock, Arkansas. Fifty years later, it was valued at uh, $10,000 when thieves cut it off at the base and stole it. They apparently wanted to chop it up and sell it as scrap metal. The police estimated at the time that the 900-pound cross probably brought about $450 at a junkyard. They didn't know the value of the cross. They didn't know it was bronze. In fact, many don't know the value of the cross of Jesus. Uh, some have just thought it to be a piece of wood, or some have thought it to be a symbol of history, or some have thought it to be a piece of jewelry. But the cross, we've sang about it so wonderfully this morning, is infinitely valuable. It's the cross that releases us from our sin. When our guilt and stuff piles up inside of us and we lose our way, it's the cross that brings us home. It's the work of Jesus on the cross that frees us. We are so grateful that Jesus didn't abort his mission to the cross. The disciples might have downplayed the cross, but after the resurrection, as you know, they were all in. And they knew what it was all about. And they took the message far and wide because it was so transformational. They saw what the cross did. They saw how the cross changed lives. Now, isn't it interesting how Matthew connects what Jesus is telling his disciples uh, it, it, to it, what is happening behind closed doors of, of his enemies. That he, he connects these two pieces. At the same time that Jesus was getting his disciples prepared for the coming days, there, there was some major plotting going on. And so verse 3 says, At the same time the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Kind of cool, isn't it, that uh, Jesus is already telling his disciples that he's going to die on a cross, and he's away ahead of his plotters. And the leading priests and the elders were having a meeting with the high priest, and they're just beginning to set in motion a plan to secretly capture Jesus and kill him. But Jesus already knows the plan. Matthew shows us that there is a deep sense of secrecy on their part. They have to move by stealth. They have to take him in secrecy. They just witnessed Palm Sunday. They've seen the thousands of people lining the streets and hailing Jesus as the king. They must be careful how they do all of this. Do you catch the irony here? Jesus is talking quite openly about his death to, the, to his disciples. And his enemies are discussing, when can we do this? When is the best time to apprehend Jesus? They're plotting. Jesus is telling. And, and one of the things that becomes so clear is that although it looked like things were out of control for Jesus, it looked like evil would win that all of the evil was going to be co-opted by a sovereign God. 
for his eternal purposes. Sometimes I just need to think about that. Uh, because it reminds me of who's on the throne. Sometimes when I think that it's out of control, I need to think about verses like this. And God always has the final say. And sovereign God always finds a way. Even the ingenious plotting of Satan and the enemies of Christ fall perfectly into the great redemption plan of God. I just say, hallelujah. How much does it cost? How much does it cost to be a disciple? You cannot be a disciple of Jesus without embracing the cross. Because the cross is God's fulcrum. This is where history is changed. Here is where we are freed from our sin. Here is where the victory is won. And when Jesus said it is, it is finished, then the price has been paid forever. How much does it cost? Secondly, how much can I give? Into this tension, there emerges a stunning story of a woman who was overflowing in her love for Jesus. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. Now, there are two other stories that are somewhat similar in the Gospels. One's in the Gospel of Mark and one's in the Gospel of John. You'll see one in the Gospel of Luke already uh, as well, but it's a little different and it has a different setting and it has a different feel to it. But there are at least three stories that are similar. And John makes it clear that the woman is Mary, who is the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And the location is in Bethany, and it's in the home of Simon the leper. Now, it's assumed that Simon had an encounter with Jesus, and Simon was healed, and now he was a follower of Jesus. So he hosts Jesus and a number of other people. Maybe he had a bigger home. We don't know. Maybe he had a bigger home, and he invited them all over for dinner. So it is into this setting, while Jesus is eating, that Mary comes into the room, and she does an amazing thing. She takes this beautiful alabaster jar of perfume and, and she empties it completely upon his head. Now, no doubt, uh, you have some expensive perfume in your home, uh, but this perfume would make us look like we all have Walmart specials. It was, it was nard. It was imported and it was very expensive. I expect that this was a family heirloom and would have only been used for very special occasions. Do you know how expensive this perfume was? In another gospel, it says that the value was worth about a year's wages. Now, if you put it in today's context, that's incredible. That's a lot of money. Now, it might have been common to offer small amounts of fragrant ointment to refresh the dinner guests. But that would have been like Old Spice or, what is it, Aquavel, but something like that. But Mary goes beyond custom. 
She pours the whole vial on Jesus' head as if she was inaugurating a king for office. Or as Jesus would say later, preparing a body for burial. John says that this perfume was made from the essence of nard. Sounds like it would market today, wouldn't it? The essence of nard. In fact, I saw a store just yesterday called the essence of, and I forget what it was, but it's called the essence of this. It, it is made from a plant in the Himalayan mountains of Asia. It, it, it was no bottle of cheap perfume picked up at the dollar store. And she poured it all out, all 12 ounces, like the amount in a can of soda. Can you imagine 12 ounces of potent perfume on your head and on your feet? One of the other Gospels said that she also poured it on his feet. And some have suggested that Jesus would have been able to smell this perfume all the way to the cross. It would have so penetrated his pores. And it's an interesting thought. I had never really thought about that before. Because it was just very shortly after this. And if he did smell this all the way to the cross, he would have remembered how well he was loved. How well he was loved. You can't help but uh, wonder if Mary had contemplated this for a long time. Remember her brother Lazarus had just died? And Mary didn't pour out the alabaster jar in mourning for her brother. And that might have been a splendid opportunity. So the point of the story has not a lot to do with money. It has everything to do with love. It's the question of, how much can I give? How much can I give? Of all of the guests around the table that night, Mary might have been the one who really got it. I have a sense, and it's only a sense, that Mary was the one who really got it. She understood something of what was coming to pass down the road. I say that because she was a worshiper. She really was. She was a listener. She knew how to tune into the heart of Jesus. It might have been that she had the intuitive skills of a woman. Uh, women do have an incredible ability to see beyond the surface. And I'm sure it was partly that. But I think it was more. I think she knew, she really knew the heart of Jesus. I really think she knew the heart of Jesus. Jesus often seemed his, to find his way into their home, into the home of the siblings, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. And, and you often just see he keeps retreating back to that home because maybe he felt safe there. Maybe that's a place where he got encouragement. And Mary had a delightful heart. And my sense is that she reads Jesus very well and she loved him very much. And she had seen many of his miracles. She had witnessed his, him bring back her own beloved brother. She, she had heard him say that he was soon to be crucified for the sins of the world and for her sins also. He was soon to be crucified for the sins of the world and for her sins also. I mean, how do you say thank you for something like that? How do you do it? 
And maybe you ask the question, how much can I give? (laughs) We'll soon learn that the disciples thought that her worship was excessive. Too excessive. You've gone overboard now. You went beyond the rules. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Any chance my worship is like that? Any chance that we say, you know, we appreciate Jesus, to be sure. We marvel at everything we can do. We're honored to be included among his friends. But our hearts are not deeply stirred. Our hearts are not deeply stirred. What a heart. Mary, what a question. How much can I give? I wonder if Mary wasn't the first person to really grasp the beauty and vibrancy of the gospel even before Jesus died. Does that make sense? And it was so incredibly life-changing for her. She took in so much. She felt filled and overflowing with who Jesus was. And maybe that's really what I want to say to you today. Uh, I don't want to lay on you a burden. You, you ought to, you know, you ought to, you ought to worship God more. You ought to serve more. You ought to pick it up. You ought to move forward. You ought to. You ought to get up earlier and pray. You ought to listen to more great music. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live like, can you ought to, you ought to, you ought to. I don't think you want to live that way. I see a wonderful truth here. Mary just filled up on Jesus. She just filled up on Jesus. Can I say it that way? Her heart was so full of Jesus. Because she was listening, because she was identifying, because she was all in, because she was fully connected. And it was out of the overflow, the blessing of of Christ touching her life. She's not trying to be generous. She just is. Because she loves. And when you love someone, you are incredibly generous. And it's like you don't want to hold back because you love. So we're in the Lent season. Hey, why not do something extravagantly this week? Pour out something. What could it be? What could it be? In serving others? Could it be with your time? Could it be with your resources? Do something. Just do something extravagant. And don't think about the extravagance. Just think about his gift to you. Not your gift to anybody else, but just think about his gift to you. And ask the Lord for your heart to live again. Ask the Lord, what do you want my heart to look like? What do you want my heart to look like? Wouldn't it be wonderful to sense Jesus saying to you, you've done a beautiful thing. That's it. You've done a beautiful thing. When the world was burning, Mary planted a rose. I mean, think of her alternatives. She could have been panicking. She could have been attending to all the practical things of life. We've got to get prepared for this. There's, there's, there's dark clouds that are coming. Lock the doors. Do security checks. Let's try to stop what's coming. She planted a rose. She worshipped. She worshipped. 
She said, how much can I give? How much can I give? But there's one more question. How much can I get? The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, Why criticize this woman for doing such a great thing to me? You always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. It certainly is interesting to me once again that that Matthew places the story of such awesome love between these two bookends, between the plot to betray Jesus and then the reaction of Judas and the disciples right after the story. It's such a contrast, isn't it? It's just like this rose in the middle of these thorns. Swift reaction. It was a waste. It wasn't practical. John says it was Judas who raised the objection. John also says he was a thief. So there isn't much credibility here about authentic caring about resources. And maybe, maybe Judas would have just loved to have gotten his mitts on the money, and I expect that was what was behind it all. Maybe you heard about the guy who received a Valentine's note from his ex-girlfriend. Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I've felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. And congratulations on winning Lotto 649. (laughs) How much was it? Yeah. A few years ago, uh, a national polling organization added, asked people on the street what they would be prepared to do for a million dollars. And the answers were rather startling. It wasn't hard to find people who would lie, who would cheat, who would steal, who would abandon their families, even murder for money. What would you do to Jesus for money? Judas was willing to walk away from Jesus, betray him, for 30 measly pieces of silver. And in the end, he was so overcome with guilt and sin that he threw it back into the temple and he, like, like it, it did nothing for him. It was like, made him nauseous. He couldn't enjoy it. Look at verse 15. How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? That was his question. How much can I get? There are some followers who have embraced Jesus because they want him to make life better. Not because they want the cross. And I think there's a Judas gene in every one of us that we have to bring under control. A number of years ago, there was a professional football player, wide receiver, ran into the end zone. This is a a touchdown that would win the game. Dropped a pass in the end zone with, of course, tens of thousands of people watching. Deeply humiliating. After the game, he blamed God for the loss in a tweet 
He tweeted, I praise you 24-7, and this is how you treat me? You expect me to learn from this? No, I'll never forget this, ever. So in, in his mind, worship was a transaction that served a practical purpose. In exchange for his devotion, God was supposed to help him on the football field. Mary has done a beautiful thing, Jesus said. She has prepared my body for burial. Now, no one suggests that Christianity isn't practical. It is helping the poor. It is an honor to do that. Jesus wasn't saying anything about that. It is a joy to come alongside of those that need us. And sometimes our journey with God is about worship. It's ascribing worth. And it flows out of a heart transfixed by the beauty of God. So when our world is at war, when our personal lives are bombarded with pain and suffering, how do we plant a rose? How do we plant a rose? Let me tell you this story as I close. Way back in 1992, the lead cellist in the Sarajevo Opera put on his formal black tails and he sat down on a fire scorched chair in a bomb crater and he began to play. And I think we have a slide of it. Uh, the crater was outside a bakery in his neighborhood where 22 people waiting in line had been killed the previous day. And the man had rushed to the scene and witnessed the death of these 22 people and he was absolutely overcome by grief. So for the next 22 days, one for each victim, he decided to challenge the ugliness of war with his only weapon, beauty. He's known as the cellist of Sarajevo. You can Google the book if you haven't read it. It's called just that. Although he could have been killed playing out in the open area, he was never shot. And his music brought hope and encouragement. A reporter once asked him if he was crazy for playing in a war zone. He replied, why do you not ask if they are crazy for bombing Sarajevo? And he went on to play in other venues, graveyards and funerals and sniper-infested streets. He was planting a rose. Your worship, your heart for God, your heart for Jesus, your joy in knowing the Savior will bring hope and inspiration to so many. So just take your alabaster jar of, of, of box of worship and just give it freely to the Savior without hope of something in return. Just give it. Don't expect anything. Just give it without hope of anything in return, but simply to ask, how much can I give? not how much can I get. Would you stand with me, please? Lord, our, our world is hurting, uh, filled with much pain, and uh, the pain of selfishness, the pain of pride. But thank you for the Marys of life, the people who plant roses, 
Thank you for the blessing of so many people that just really get it and understand the value of the cross. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much. And your heart is that every one of us just really gets it. Lord, help us to be a rose in this community so people know what an awesome, awesome Savior you are. We love you. We worship you. We bless you today in the name of Jesus. Amen.